This verse is often shared with very good intention and genuine concern, usually with someone who is going through a very difficult time, dealing with some great upset, tragedy, sorrow, pain, or heartache. Keep watching to find out what verse I'm talking about. Welcome to Rightly Dividing with Ron Anderson. Thank you for joining me. This episode, we're going to be talking about Romans 8.28. This verse is often shared with the best of intentions to encourage somebody who's going through a very difficult time, a heartache, upset, disappointment, something along those lines. And um, I think it is often genuinely shared to encourage somebody, but I think it is also important that we, when we share verses with people who are going through difficulties or struggles or tragedies in life, that we are gentle in our approach because I think there are times where maybe we just need to be there. There needs to be a presence before we give scripture out or we remind them of something that they already know. I think there needs to be a level of discernment in dealing with those who are going through difficulties and, and trials and tribulations and heartaches and upsets and just really dealing with some of the harder issues and the darker valleys of life. Sometimes it's just our presence and sometimes it's the right time to say things or to remind people of some biblical principles. So I think uh, discernment is critically important, sensitivity to an individual. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the verse is true. At times, as I'd mentioned earlier in, in the uh, short version leading into this, that sometimes it helps, sometimes it hurts, but all the time it's true. And I think we need to be sensitive to the individual and the situation and circumstances. Now, that being said, I want to take a look at this verse in its context. And this is going to be more along the lines of the subject of this does mean that instead of this doesn't mean that. So perhaps a whole other category coming here at Rightly Dividing with this verse. So looking directly at the passage, uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28, 29, 30. And again... The Bible was not written in verses, it wasn't written in chapters, and, but to find things, we, we have to have these numbers in there. So I think if you're really going to take a deep dive into this particular verse, these verses, uh, that it would be good for you to go back and read the entire chapter, chapter 8, and flow into this from the overall context. Now, uh, due to the time that I'm trying to, the time frame I'm trying to keep these episodes, it won't take time to go into the entire chapter. So we're going to look at these verses, 28, 29, and 30. And this is the verse that is so often quoted to people, and it is true. But I think there is a time uh, to give it, uh, and there is a time to hold back for the right time uh, when a person is, is in the place of being able to be reminded or to receive the truth that is here. So, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the verse. That's the sentence that we're primarily looking at. Now, we need to follow up verse, with verse 29 or the next sentence because these two are very much connected together. Um, it, isolating this verse away from verse 29 is, is a huge contextual mistake. So let's take a look at some of the words that are in here. And also, I did want to mention that in, in verse 28, there are three prepositional phrases that we're going to notice here. They all begin with the word to, T-O. And then there are two more in verse 29. And they're all linked together 
all five of these prepositional phrases are linked together, and they all have to do with this all things together for good. And I jotted down a few notes here I'm going to be glancing at every now and then because uh, there are some key points that I don't want to overlook in this passage. So, first of all, and we know. Now, the word know here in Greek is oida. It is uh, the other word that's used for to know in Greek often is gnosko. Gnosko is more along the lines of, let, to put it simply, a head knowledge. I know something in my head. Oya is more along of the head and the experience. I have the experience with that also. So it's more than just something in my head. For example, I can read books about flying, flying an airplane, being on an airplane. I can read all kinds of books and learn all kinds of facts and information about flying. But if I never fly, if I never get in an airplane, I don't have the experience knowledge. I have the head knowledge. Here's the difference when we look at Gnosko and Oida, and I know uh, there are some circles of, of Greek study that say, well, there, when it came to the New Testament time, there was no longer that clear distinction, but I, I would beg to differ with that, particularly in an instance like this. So Paul is saying here uh, in Romans 8.28, the knowledge, the knowing that we have is not just because it's in my head, I know it looking at, but I know it because I experience it. We experience experience this taking place in our lives. And that to me is a huge difference between experiential knowledge, knowing that, going through that yourself, or head knowledge. Okay? Uh, I can talk to somebody who's facing heart surgery. As a pastor, I go and visit them. They're facing serious heart surgery. I want to pray with them. And I can show empathy and concern. And I can talk to them about it. But I don't know anything about it. I can give them information that I might know uh, from other people's experience. But I've not had the experiential knowledge. What Paul is using here, to me, is that experience knowledge. That oida, to know that. And we know by experience, that, and here's the next phrase you want to consider for a moment, all things, not some things, not a few things, certain things, but all things. Now, in short, I look at this as we surrender all things to God, because there's a condition uh, as to who this applies to. What people does this apply to? To everybody in general? Really, this, this has a specific application to believers, not to just people in general, but to believers. And the all things work together when I surrender them into God's hands for him to do the work. So we know all things work together. Now, another Greek word, sun uh, ergo or erge, it is two words, with and work, working together. It's the, the Greek word that we get the English word synergy, energy joined together, work bonded together. So all things, all these different things, as we surrender them to God, he takes them and he works them together for a unified purpose that we're going to see here in a moment as we look at this passage. Uh, so work together for good. It does not say that all things are good. It says what ultimately what God can do is bring good out of all things when we surrender it into our hand into his hands so all things work together for good it doesn't say those things are good now uh, good 
uh, in this context is not about our circumstances. We're reading a quote here. Good in this context is not about our circumstances. It doesn't say good circumstances. It's not based upon our values and estimation of what is good and what isn't. That's, that's not what this is based on. It is about God's overall prevailing purpose in our lives, and that is to make us like Jesus. That's the purpose. That's the good that he is working through all things to bring to us, is making us like Christ. So all th- we know that all things work together for good. Now here are the conditions. It's conditional. It's not a universal verse just thrown out to anybody. To those who love God, first condition. To those who love God. Secondly, to those who are called according, third, to his purpose. And the ultimate purpose in our lives and God working in our lives through his Holy Spirit who indwells us is to make us like Christ. That's the good that comes out of all the bad experiences of life when we yield and surrender them into God's hand. Now that's the struggle, isn't it? That's the battle. That's the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the doubt and the despair and the discouragement that we all go through when we go through those deep, dark valleys that tear our hearts in two. But when we yield that moment, that experience, that heartache, those tears, that crying, that moaning, when we yield that into God's hands, he can bring good out of that bad. You can't do that. I can't do that for myself. All I can do is yield that to him into his hands. So we know by experience that all things work together for good, for a good purpose in the end. And what is that? The good purpose is to be like Christ. Let's look at the next verse, verse 20, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Here's the, here's the fourth prepositional phrase. To be conformed and the fifth to the image of his son. There it is. That's the good. We're, we too often look at situations and circumstances and we think the good that God ought to, do, ought to do for us is to take the bad situation, turn it around, and make the situation good. And God is using the situation, the circumstance, the trial, the tribulation to bring about a good end. And the good end is to conform us into the image of his son. Now, that that word conform there actually means to be shapened into, to be conformed, formed, shaped into. Um, That's not always an easy process to go through. It's not always uh, pleasant, but it is always purposeful, called according to his purpose. Be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the first born among many brethren. And then verse uh, 30, moreover, whom he did predestine, those, these he also called, whom he called, uh, these he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, now there's a whole lot in there, theologically speaking, that we're not going to venture into in, in verse 30 there, but it all ties together for that, that end of uh, the glorification of Jesus Christ, and that is when we are conformed into his image. And that's the good that God is doing in the bad situations of life. So back to verse 28. So we know that all things work together for good 
to those who are who, who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it's conditional. There are those five prepositional statements in there that clarify uh, and specify what is going on and, and the purpose and the intention that God has, his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. That's, that's just not real life for anyone. And also, this verse is not about personal gain or personal prosperity as it is so often taken out of context. That's not even remotely related to this passage at all in any way. Personal prosperity, not there. It's conformity to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's the good that God wants to do in us. So I have a couple of um, Bible examples that I, I, I've jotted down here that I, I want to share briefly. So some examples of God working good out of bad situations right out of Scripture. In Philippians 1, uh, verses 12 through, through 14, Paul, re, Paul says this, the things that have happened to me. Now, Paul, in writing to the Philippians, is in a Roman jail. He thinks he might die. In fact, even in Philippians, he says uh, to die is to be with Christ or is to gain. You know, I can live for him. I can die. I, I might die. If I live, I'm going to live for him. I mean, he's facing death. But, he, but in the midst of that, in prison, facing possible death at this moment, he says the things that have happened to me are for the furtherance of the gospel. What? Why? Because he surrendered all of that. Even imprisonment, being beaten, stoned, whipped, left for dead, persecuted, jailed, possibly facing death. He surrendered all that into God's hands. And then he can say, it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Acts chapter, 12, or, uh, chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. Paul and Silas beaten, thrown in prison. What happens there? Philippian jailer gets he gets saved. So there's a bad situation. Listen, being beaten and thrown in jail, and maybe they were facing possible death as well. Bad situation. The good that God worked out of it because they surrendered to him. Remember, uh, they had a worship service there. <laughs> it was so impactful that the Philippian jailer would say, what's going on? And here we have the Philippian jailer getting saved. God brings good out of the bad when the bad is surrendered into his hands. You know what? We, we go through, and I know this is true in my life, we go through suffering in, in, our, in our trials and tribulations so much when we're trying to do something about it with our hands. We won't let it out of our hands, put it in his hands, and let him bring something good out of it. John chapter 9 verses 1 through 5. In John chapter 9, we have the disciples going along with Jesus. Here they are walking along, and they come across what? The blind man. Now, here's something interesting. There, there must be some details they know about this guy, or they've seen him, or they know his history, because they know he's been blind from birth. He's not just a blind guy, but they know he's been blind from birth. And their summation of this is simply this. What did this guy do? He must have sinned before he was born, which was some... Uh, philosophy that was floating around and just in society at that day or his parents sinned and God's punishing his parents by making their their son be a blind man being born blind and Jesus said no it's none of that now listen listen this is Jesus he was born blind so that God would be glorified what that that doesn't fly right 
in a lot of circles today. Jesus said he was born blind so that God would be glorified. Here's a bad situation when it's given over into God's hands. He makes it good come out of it. The man's eyes were open and God was glorified. God never would have been glorified by a blind man receiving his sight if he hadn't been born blind. God brought good out of a bad situation. Genesis chapter 50, we have the end of Genesis, we have the end of Joseph's life, or uh, his brothers are there before him. You know anything about the story of Joseph? Uh, you talk about somebody who comes from a dysfunctional family, a dysfunctional home. His brothers hated him so much they beat him up and sold him into slavery. And he's, he was removed from his family as a young man, and he went off to Egypt never to see his homeland again. And here we are, Joseph, at the end of his, his brothers show up because of a famine. They show up. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. He's in a power of authority, in a place of authority in Egypt. And he has the opportunity to seek revenge, but he doesn't. He gave it over into God's hands. There's a whole lot more that happens in Joseph's life that he turned over into God's hand. He could have chosen to become a very bitter man and to hang on to all of that in his own hands and raise his angry fist to God and blame God for things, but he didn't. And in the end of Genesis chapter 50, his brothers are afraid he's going to bring revenge. And what does Joseph say? He says, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Joseph looked back over his life and he saw that God was always at work in his life, even in the bad situations. When he was falsely accused and framed for something that he didn't do. When he was imprisoned. When he was forgotten. When he was lied about. When he was overlooked. And then when the opportunity came, he didn't take hold of it with his own hands to take revenge. He left it in God's hands. And he says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That's God bringing good out of some very bad situations and circumstances. In uh, John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have troubles, tragedies, heartaches, upsets. But, but God can bring good out of that as we surrender those things into his hand. I want to read a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 16 to 18, where Paul says this, uh, after he's gone through all of the sufferings of, you know, we've been hard-pressed in every side, crushed, perplexed, in despair, persecuted. All these things are going on in my life. But he says in verse 16, he begins this way, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Wait a minute. You've been persecuted, whipped, stoned, punished, but we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, he calls this light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He sees the end that God is working in his life. While we do not look at the things which are seen, the temporal things, but at the things which are not seen, the eternal things. For the things which are seen are temporary. No matter what valley you're in, what heartache, as severe and as pressing and as discouraging as it may be, as overwhelming as it may be, it's temporary. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So this verse does mean that God can bring good out of the bad things of life, the bad situations and circumstances, the tragedies, the upsets that we face, the heartaches that go beyond description by words. God can bring good out of those things when we surrender them into his hands. And to be honest with you, for me, that's the struggle. I recognize the truth, but sometimes it is so hard letting go of those things and saying, God, I give you my pain. I give you my heartache. I give you my upset. I give you my, my distress and everything else that seems to crush my I give it to you. Through this, do your good work of making me like Jesus Christ. Do I desire to be like him? So much so that I, I yield those things over to him and say, God, thank you for working in my life. Now, uh, in, some, in some future episode, I'm going to share one of the uh, experiences of my life where I was in a very serious car accident. And for a while, I was questioning, God, what are you doing? Why did you let this happen to me, to my family and everything else? As I grew in my faith and walking with God and I looked back, I could see the good that God has brought out of that. Someday in the future, I'll have an episode concerning just that experience in my life and what God accomplished and the good that he brought out of a very very, very bad experience in my life. Well, thank you once again for joining me here at Rightly Dividing with Ron Anderson. Again, I encourage you to please like, share, subscribe, share Rightly Dividing with Ron Anderson with all of your friends on the various media outlets that you use. And I encourage you not only to use the comments section below, but also you can contact me at rightlydividingtheword215 at gmail.com. Thank you. God bless. Take care.